Welcome to Fleet Safety Geeks. I'm Bob. And I'm Phil. And we welcome you to our podcast. Week two of our three-part series of how to develop a fleet safety policy. Um, I'm here with Phil and also Carrie Hagen. Carrie Hagen is Senior Director of Client Development at Fleet Response. Carrie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Phil, uh, how are you doing? Having a good I'm week? Doing out? well, Bob. How are you doing? Doing great. Yeah, happy to be Thank here and uh, uh, kind of excited for this episode. We get into the mm-hmm. nitty gritty of uh, um, actually developing this uh, policy. So, um, Carrie, you want to say a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, you know, my background is in business management and communications, but I have been in the safety world now for about nine years, um, day to day working with different companies, um, and looking at their safety programs and making recommendations and, um, policy recommendations. And a lot has, you know, changed in that nine years and technology has, has changed. And so, um, yeah, I'm happy to be here today and, and talk about best practices. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, as a fleet manager, I use fleet response and, and we, um, are very happy with, um, you know, uh, from my point of view, able to develop a program that we have, and then you guys can put something behind it. All your different clients do something different. So it's nice that you can yep. do that. And then you probably learn a lot of different, uh, things that other companies are doing and kind of share that with other customers. So that's nice. Um, so, um, you mentioned some new things. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about it, but the one that I really like is the MBR monitoring. Um, we'll talk about the value of MBRs um, in a little bit here, but um, I do like the the monitoring, and, and that's one of the new things that's changed, and I'm sure that we'll learn about some more. Phil, as we go and uh, uh, kind of talk about developing a policy um, and putting some teeth behind uh, some of the language, um, from your experience um, as an officer and also in the industry and developing safety policy, what would you recommend as far as developing um, something that you need to run MVRs? I mean, if, if you don't do anything else, run MVRs. But once you run those MVRs, you need to make sure that you have things in place to take care of what you find. And uh, previous conversation, I know the three of us had. You know, it's it's, it's worse to uh, know and not do something than it is, is not to know. And not knowing is not acceptable. You know, it, it, right. MVRs are a must uh, if you have, a, if you're uh, managing a fleet, uh, but you need to know what the drivers are up to. Uh, but you better have something in place as soon as you find out, because if you see somebody with, you know, multiple violations or egregious violations, you know, the, the, the DWIs and the reckless drivings and things like that, you need to be able to react right away and you have to make sure that, again, you know, we talked about it last week, you have to have uh, top-down buy-in from, you know, uh, make sure you have your legal department on board and your HR department and, and all the management uh, because uh, it, it has to be enforced. So MBRs are a must. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you when you put together that policy, you look at, where are all the different areas we can get information that we might and MVRs for sure. I would even say in today's world, you know, monitoring at this point is, is almost becoming a must just, it it is really becoming best practice. Um, So understand, you know, if that's telematics, um, if it's just MVRs, if it's monitoring um, claims, 
understand where the data is coming from and then understand how you're going to react to each of those pieces um, and then putting the players in place to be able to react timely to all of that, right? And whether that's a system or a third party or an internal team, and maybe it's a combination, um, but addressing all those pieces, knowing about it, and then having the, the keys to address it are really are really going to make you successful. Yeah. Right. So, uh, Carrie, and I think that people need to also understand that not all of their collisions are going to show up on the MBA. Right. right. The law of the parking lot stuff, because it, that's the, you know, there, there are two types of collisions, reportable and non-reportable. And most states have the same thing. So you have to find out, you know, the particular states that you're dealing with. But I know where I worked as a, as a police officer, we had two types of collisions, reportable, non-reportable. Reportable was somebody was injured or there was so much damage, vehicles had to be towed. Um, and non-reportables were all the others. And for the parking lot collisions, my, my department unlike a lot of the departments, we actually responded to, to private property collisions on parking lots in the, you know, the strip malls and things like that. Uh, doctor's offices and, you know, people who back into things. And we would write an instant report, but that's not showing up on the MVR. Right. So again, I think your policy needs to address in, um, you know, uh, reporting all collisions. And then though, you have to make sure that when the MVR is run, there's not re double reporting, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. On, on, on a, as far as like on a profile of the driver, which we'll get into that, you know, why we, we think that's important that you have to have some type of system in place to uh, um, just a, a readable report. I'll, I'll put it that way. Because some yeah, of these MVRs are like hieroglyphics. <laughs> yeah. They're tough to read. Yeah. A report. And it goes back to the consistency that was talked about in the first episode. You know, you have to, prove that you're treating everybody fairly across the board, that you're acting reasonably, that you have this, this really comprehensive safety story in place. That's, um, and, you know, if you're looking at everyone individually and you don't have to have a way to, to normalize it and, and treat everyone the same across the board consistently, um, then you're not going to meet that burden of proof at the end of the day. And frankly, it's, it's harder for drivers to understand if they don't know that this is what I need to follow they're gonna have a hard time following it. You gotta make it really clear. So you said the word normalize. Can you explain like, what do you mean by that? Is that like with point scores? Right, right. Um, so MVRs is a great example, like you were saying. So different states look at, you know, records so differently, driving records and what California does and what Ohio does might be vastly different. So if you get a ticket for going 10 miles over the limit, um, the number of points on your license is gonna really very greatly. So you need a way to standardize that. So if you have drivers all over, you know, the US, um, you want to make sure that you can treat them fairly and you're not scoring them based on their the number of points on their license, but looking at the violations and looking at your company policy and saying based on our company policy, no matter what state you're in, if you get a reckless driving, if you get a ticket for reckless driving, we're giving you X number of points, we're, we're treating you this way, you know, and if you get um, a ticket for going 10 miles over, then then it's going to be X. So that puts them on that level playing field. Okay. So it levels out the point scores, yep. basically. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So, Carrie, um, all, all points, Phil, thanks. But with the um, referring to company policy, is developing a company policy. So we have to kind of act like nobody has a policy right now. Um, 
you know, you, you brought up like New York could give points for being Iowa could give points different. We're not treating them the same. So first of all, can you talk a little bit about monitoring and then how do we get those violations and assign points to them? Um, I know that we've got a whole spread of what they are called AVD codes. And then we assign our points that we, you know, do to them. And then you guys can actually put them out there as a policy. And I don't want to just tell you exactly how you're going to, you know, explain that. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be important. Somebody's kind of listening to this has no policy. You know, what is monitoring? And then how do we get to those points? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the points, you really do need to do it by the codes that are assigned, which, um, you know, if you're a, if you're with a company that has very many drivers of, you know, a, a substantial size, that might be hard to do on your own, and you might need to find some third party to help you out, whoever that is. So if you look at the points and standardizing and and the codes and how you do that, um, you, if if you're a company of of um, of any substantial size, you're probably going to need a third partner, a third party um, vendor or partner or system to help you do that, um, because you do want to look at the codes that are assigned, and and there's tens of thousands of of codes across all the states in the U.S. Um, so there's multiple third parties that that can help you do that. But when it comes to your policy, you want to look at at it at a higher level, and then you can roll all those. Your, your partner can help you roll all those points up to it. But you look at it what, you know, we always say the big uglies we talk about, um, which are those, you know, the DUI, the alcohol, the um, road rage, the things that are, you know, totally under your control, aggressive behaviors that you really want to address, right? So you put those in a category and you're going to score those at, at one level. And then you look at the, you know, different levels of speeding and, um, so you want to look at those categories and, and speak to them at a high level that drivers can really understand, you know, of how they're going to be scored and graded. And then, um, you know, your partner can help you get the, the granular points um, attributed appropriately based on the categories of your policy. Um, and, you know, historically, then it's been you run an, an, at least an annual MVR, right? And, you know, first of all, do people have a valid license like that's the basics, right? If they don't, you better know about it and, and they better not be driving on your behalf. Um, and then where are they at from a violation standpoint? But, you know, monitoring is something that's been out for a few years now, and I've really seen great improvements in the monitoring programs. Um, so every state has their own version of it a little bit, um, what they monitor for, how often they monitor, but it's really been been coming along where you know you can do it in every state now in the U.S. and w- when it first started and we we started pretty early with it and it was a handful of states um, and so some people were concerned about treating you di- you know treating it differently by state but monitoring is across the U.S. now and really you know it, it's just going to take that one time where you have a driver that gets a DUI it's in your policy to self-report, they don't. And eight months later, you find out somebody was driving on your behalf without a license. Um, DUI and, related. Right. You know, really bad, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. right? Right, right. Right, So that monitoring program really, you know, getting your drivers enrolled in that, it's, it's a comfort, but it's also, you know, you're doing the right thing on behalf of your drivers, on behalf of everyone else on the road. Um, 
And it's, you know, drivers don't have to question like, man, should I self-report this? What Like the company is going to know about it. I'm going to self-report. We're going to figure this out. And, um, and it really, I, I think just, just keeps you up to date and lets you really manage it at a much higher level. Yeah. So getting to the point of self-reporting, you know, and that's why I think, um, I, I, okay, call me cynical, right? but if somebody gets a pretty egregious violation, they're going to be very, very hesitant to report it to the company. Right. So I always say in the policy, you need to address that. You know, and mm-hmm. you need to, to let them know that, hey, if you haven't reported this violation and then we will find out about it, there are going to be consequences to that. And it's going to be worse than if you had not reported it. But I believe that there are some people who just look at it and say, well, you know, if it's a fireable offense, I'm going to try and get it wiped off my record before, you know, it shows up. But uh, mm-hmm. I think that your policy better address that as well. And that's, you know, if you don't follow policy on the self-reporting, then there are consequences for not doing that. And those have to be pretty stiff penalties um, so that you can, you know, incentivize your, your employees to self-report. Um, so that, that was another thing. And then, yeah, I, you know, you said about the thousands of, uh, of codes, uh, you know, the, so there are 50 states and if you're dealing with Canada and all, I mean, vehicle codes are about that thick, right? So think about all that and, 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 and every state has a different code for different violations. Some of the penalties might be the same, but yeah, it's really, really important that you have a system in place that, um, you know, listen, whether it's 10 to 15 over in a 35 or 10 to 15 over in a 65, it's 10 to 15 over. And uh, you need to you need to have a balanced uh, point score system in place so that it's manageable. Mm-hmm. You know, you just yeah. have to have it manageable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, manageable and actionable. Right. Right. So you need to be able to administer it. And then as you know, it was talked about in the first episode, the only thing worse than, you know, not knowing is knowing and not doing anything right. about it. And so then what are you going to do and how do you make that manageable to execute on? Um, so, you know, you need to be able to say, hey, if if we have drivers that hit, hit this level and have these violations and we need to give them training and, and maybe that's an online lesson um, and you partner with somebody to administer that. Maybe it's a, um, you know, we've worked with companies that their branches do individual coaching, you know, written um, conversations, coaching, documented, um, documented in a system that, you know, this happened or, or a ride along, you know, there's a few different ways you can approach it depending on the technology available to you and, and resources um, and locations and whether you're decentralized or, or all in one location, but doing something actionable that you can act on pretty immediately is just as important then. Right. Right. Yeah. And Phil, you mentioned earlier um, a driver profile. So, Carrie, I know that Fleet Response has driver history profile. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But that profile, what does it tell us? I mean, we have to assign some sort of risk level to a driver. Um, and that risk level basically is saying, what are the chances that person could be involved in a preventable accident? More than likely is what we're trying to get to. What, what recommendations can you um, come up with or, or recommend for these risk levels and how do we get there? Is that to Carrie? Yes. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Um, 
Yeah, so I think you, again, you go back to look at, at what are you scoring and, and how are you scoring that, and then you um, put your drivers in those categories. So you're going to have, most of the time I see 80% of drivers are clear. 80% of drivers, um, you know, have not have nothing on their record. Right. Um, then you're going to get this probably 15% that, that has something here and there. They'll have maybe one preventable accident, maybe a few speeding tickets. Um, and then it's, it's usually really a small percent that has those, those big uglies or the repeat offenders that you see. Um, you know, so you, you set those categories, um, and those breakdowns and then you figure out how you're going to address each. And I would say it's pretty obvious that those high, high offenders, there's a repeatable behavior there that you need to address. And whether that's termination or whether that's coaching and training, um, you need to ad address it and follow a consistent policy across the board and let the policy guide the action. Um, but I would really recommend even, you know, 80% of your drivers are clear, but that's also your largest population and they have a bad day, something happens in their personal life, it is not uncommon we'll see somebody who's been clear for seven years and then all of a sudden there's this activity that happens. So that speaks to acting quickly, figuring out, again, it's not always even just about penalizing, it's just addressing, right? You're there to support the driver and you want them to get home safe. You want everyone else on the roadway to be safe. Um, you know, our social responsibility is, as humans and that safety story, we're including everyone. So that's why we would always recommend, you know, I would always recommend whether it's you're sending out regular safety messages, um, you're doing regular training, you are doing something to have it in the forefront of people's minds and remind them um, of the importance of, of being safe. Along with then you say, okay, my, my highest percentage here, we're gonna address them you know, in, in these five ways and these three ways, this middle group, we're addressing each one of those incidents and then the general population, what are we doing to continue that conversation? Terry, I think you bring up a really, really good uh, uh, point here. I've seen drivers who six, seven years, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden, bang, 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 you know, violations, crashes, whatever. And, and, and it, it could be a personal thing. You know, they're going through a health issue or they have a loved one who is, or they're going through a divorce or they're, you know, they just lost a loved one or, or they're, they're, they're going through a personal crisis. And that's, and again, this needs to be brought forth, you know, to the drivers that, hey, we're here because we want you to be safe. I mean, that's number one. You know, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, protecting your company or your organization from the negligent entrustment uh, issues, obviously that's important. But number one is we want you to stay safe. The most important thing you do is you go home every night, right? And if, if I think if you approach it that way with drivers, most of them do really, you know, accept that and, 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 and quite often are appreciative. I know that uh, the company I worked for previously, when we put the policy in place and the training in place, I got numerous emails from people saying, thank you. So it's, you know, the push, you know, people think, oh, no, but they're never going to accept that. They're never. No, a lot of people actually do appreciate it. And uh, having the um, consistency, as you mentioned, Carrie, I think is very important because, you know what? If you were to stop and think right now, 
Think of a bad driver. Somebody you know is a, just a terrible driver that you wouldn't let your dog ride around the block with. Think about that. You, you probably have maybe one or two or maybe three people come in mind, right? Well, guess what? The employees know who those employees are. And they're wondering like, well, he got away with it. He did that or she did that. And, and, and it irritates them. And that creates a bad work environment. Having a solid po policy in place and monitoring those MVRs and identifying the people who need help, I think is, is a good thing for on a number of different levels. And that's just another one. So I, again, I think that your, your point of the 80-20, oh my goodness, that is so true. There are people who just love to contribute to the cause. <laughs> and I, I've done ride-alongs with a number of the risk level drivers. I, sometimes I felt like I needed to wear a helmet but you know, some of these people are really just kind of dangerous. And, and, and the point is too, is it, it's their habits. And until you point it out and say, hey, you need to correct this. You need to correct your behavior. A lot of times they don't even realize they're doing something wrong until you bring it you know, forth mm -hmm. to them and, and then help them. And, and when you set up those, um, when you set that up for your company, I think this is where it's it's really individual by company. You have to figure out from an administrative burden standpoint, from a from the buy-in, what can you do that is going to be achievable, obtainable, that you're going to be able to carry that consistency across mm -hmm. the board. So, um, you know, we love to to work with clients and set up the automation. You know, so yeah. if we get a motor vehicle record back and there are you know violations for speeding we're going to automatically send you this training lesson for for speeding you know um if if there's a preventable accident um and you rear-ended somebody else we want to automatically give you a training lesson for avoiding rear-end collisions right. and so whether you work with a third party to set up that automation or you can you know set it up at an employee manager level you, you really need to make sure it's, it's timely and that it's not going to be something that you can't take on from an administrative standpoint right. yeah and, and and i always say i automation 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 right and for mm -hmm. for just the same reason consistent uh enforcement of the policies that's one and then two is that hey the more human interaction you have with those things i find the more mistakes are made so if you have a, a, an automated system like that it just it flows a lot better. It's more readily accepted. Say, hey, listen, uh, you know, the, the senior VP got the same thing you did, so I don't want to hear it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's right. like, right. you know, uh, it, it just needs to be consistent in that automation assist in that and uh, achieving that. Well, this is great. This is all really good advice. So if, if we have a company that doesn't have any kind of safety policy, um, and they're trying to develop this. We talked in the last episode of having a developing a, a fleet safety committee, getting senior level uh, people on board, getting HR legal. So they should be reviewing these steps that we just talked about as part of that committee, right? They want to talk about how many points they want to assign on speeding tickets, on you know the the, the big bad DUIs and and other ones. Can't remember exactly the term you used for it. The the, the baddies, the big uglies, the big uglies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. So um, obviously, those are going to be weighted heavier as far as a score mm -hmm. than somebody going ten miles over a speed yeah. limit or something like that. Um, and then you have to determine, you know, how far back are you going to, you know, hold someone accountable for mm -hmm. these points. So that's going to be kind of a big thing too. Um, and again, 
uh, as Cliff said last week, we want to make sure it's reasonable, but also manageable. We need to make sure, you know, we're, we're able to manage this. So, you know, perhaps you don't want to look at seven years back and give someone points for something that old, but you certainly want to make it relevant to to today's everyday driving. Um, so from um, from a third party standpoint, you said it's, it's good to partner with somebody like this. They can automate these things. As a company or an organization is developing a fleet safety policy and they're working with the fleet safety committee, do you guys work with, you know, organizations develop developing policy to kind of give advice or kind of help them establish something, you know, to do that? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And because it can help to have that that outside opinion, right? I, it's you need both sides. You need to know what's really going to work for your company and have buy in and be realistic for your culture. Um, what's going to be accepted, but um, we work with lots of companies and we um, can talk about best in class and that's that, the importance of that third party, um, you know, whether it's fleet response and in the legal side, you HR side, you want to get all those, those directors involved. And we absolutely, we're out, we always say, you know, let's me talk about it. Um, we'll help you even write one um, or you guys write one and we'll review it and we'll say, what about this? Or, you know, there isn't really consistency here. This doesn't align. So we're always happy to to partner and do that. And it's important that whatever, you know, third party is willing to offer something like that and be really consultative with you. Sure. Yeah, no, that's great. Okay. Yeah. One of the other things I always say, Carrie, is that people, um, I know that uh, there, there have been some organizations that, um, they have people reviewing MVRs and, you know, they see a, a violation on the MVR and it says per se, and they don't know what per se is. And, and, and what, you know, what per se is, is a DWI. It's the per se level of intoxication, like a 0 0.08 or a 0 0.05, depending on where you're living. Uh, and, and, and so I, again, I think it's really important that you have a report that takes care of that for you so that you're not depending on somebody who may not have the experience and, you know, in, in deciphering what an MVR is saying. Uh, so I think that's an important thing also. Yeah, that's a good point. We, um, if somebody is doing it manually, that, that I, don't, I don't envy that. That is a hard task. And if you're getting it, you know, directly from the, from the state, every state, you know, MVR looks different too. And is in a little bit different format. You're searching for information. Um, you know, we, we take the information in in a totally electronic format, and then the output is a standard format, regardless of the state right. you're in. Um, because you have people that don't, maybe don't understand all the violation specifics, what what it's even saying. Um, but there's human error right. too, right? You know, if you're reviewing it manually, and then um, and there's biases. As much as you want to say that isn't there. You know, mm -hmm. well, gosh, I know this guy. Oh, he's a and, you great know, sales guy. You know? <laughs> right, and, right, I know. Yeah. Right, right. We, you know, the the, yeah. the commission. We've had companies that have said, you know, what do I do? Like, this is our highest producing sales person. We can't take them off the road. And we say, then you get him a driver. Then you get him or her somebody to drive them. Like, I mean, really, like at some point, um, you have to have a policy that's clear enough that. You know, to some degree, there aren't exceptions. You know, you have to be consistent. Right. Yeah. Um, there was an point. So, uh, oh, look, going back, Bob, you brought up about how far back you look. Um, what I've always heard and what I did previously was we did a three-year look back for 
um, all the violations except for the more egregious ones like the DWI and fleeing and eluding. We did a five-year look back for that. Do you find that that is typically the um, what most organizations are doing? What, what, what have you seen, Carrie? Yeah, we a three-year look back I think is the most common. Um, I've, I've seen some people do 12. I would say that you can get that. 12, um, you can, you can do, but you're, you know, you're not necessarily getting a, a full picture. Mm -hmm. You know, you want, um, the longer period of time is better. Um, states, it depends on the state on how far back they'll report as well. So you go, um, much beyond three, you're going to start to lose some states as, you know, as, as what they'll report to you. And so then are you being consistent? Um, so three years, I think is definitely the most common I've had people and we've worked with companies to, to stagger it and say, you know, your points start off at this and then at year two, they move to this and at year one move to this. My only hesitation there is that gets confusing, yeah. you know, um, that even if you have an automated system that does all that, um, you, I go back to the basics of, I do think, and this was mentioned in the last episode that drivers want to know what what the standard is and they're happy to have one and follow it most of the time um and and you got to keep it simple so if you put too many ifs thens at this point and variations in then it, then it gets complex and it gets really hard yeah to especially with the continuous monitoring i can see where that is going to be extremely difficult to manage right. because when it's run again you know if it, something happens again and, and, it, and, and it runs it it's going to pop up again and if you have a policy yeah. that, well, this is going to go down to two points to one point after so many years, I, I think, nah, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't suggest doing that. Um, I guess there are organizations right. that do, but I just got to believe that that's going to create some issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the two weeks in a row we've, we've talked about the drivers and the drivers are looking for some sort of structure. They're not really going to push back against this. They're looking at what are the expectations that the company has, you know, for me and other drivers, Phil, you brought up a great point. You know, it's like, Hey, I know Joe's, you know, he's out there doing everything wrong. He's not getting caught. Mm -hmm. Why should I try? You know? So as long as everybody knows what their expectations are and it's clear and it makes sense and people are being treated reasonably and consistently, I think that, you know, any good safety policy is going to be put in place in such a way that um, drivers are going to accept it and expect it um, and be grateful for it. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the other thing I, I would say real quick is that one thing we just haven't mentioned is looking at it from the perspective of assist, assisting the drivers and rewarding yes. good behavior over penalizing yes. bad, right? The approach can be so important. And there are, again, this goes back to the company culture and what you're able to do. But we have companies that, you know, have committees that um, annually, semi-annually, whether it's monetary, whether it's you know, a plaque, whether, but recognition, um, incentivizing the good behavior, um, gamification, we're, we're actually working on, um, you know, a new site right now to building gamification so that you can, you know, it's the whole, you feel good, you get a badge, you get a, again, money, days off, whatever the company has as incentive, and it can be small, speaks, speaks to employees and speaking that instead of you do this and you're in trouble is, is such a different message. Yeah, I, I always say, you know, it just can't be all stick. You have to give the carrot too, right? Um, right. And, and yeah. things mm -hmm. that I'd looked at was like, um, you know, satellite radio. 
because if they fall off the cliff, right. you know, they start doing things wrong. We can just turn that off, you know, uh, but, but again, just, mm-hmm. just the recognition, Carrie, you're so right. I've, I've been to a number of, you know, larger company, you know, the national meetings and such, just having them being called up onto the stage by the president of the company and shaking their hand and giving them yeah. a little certificate. It means a lot. And people were like really proud of that. And that might sound, oh, like, sure. No, I'm telling you, it's, it's kind of like a peer thing. And that's and that, because doesn't that lead to that driver safety culture that we're always talking about? Mm-hmm. So I, I agree, Carrie. It's, yeah. I'm really glad you put, brought that up because you do have to reward the good ones too. Uh, they, they, they should get the recognition. If the only time they're, they're hearing from their fleet or safety manager is when they've done something wrong, we got a problem. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Um, I like the idea of, of the gamification. Yes. Um, but Carrie, as you mentioned, a lot of companies, 80% of their drivers could have a perfect record. So make sure you have a budget yeah. and make sure that it's kind of reasonable because mm-hmm. if everybody's getting yeah. 50 bucks, that's going to cost you a fortune. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think a lot of times drivers just like the the recognition, yeah. just being recognized, just yeah. being called out saying, hey, you did great, you know, um, something and and um, just make sure it's it's something that uh, if you're going to do it, you know, put something in the budget, put something in place, you know, to get that going. So um, and if you don't do something, if you don't have a policy and you do have a huge accident, just look at how much that's going to cost from the liability side and everything else. So um, and I'm sure that we don't budget for those. So. So the money's there one way or another. So just, you know, make sure it's reasonable. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, um, what else do we want to chat about? We're kind of approaching our quote unquote 30 minute, you know, uh, time limit here. Um, are there any last thoughts or anything that we've missed that we want to continue talking about? Well, we mentioned about, you know, how often MVRs are run, right? Annual, semi-annual um, or, um, or continuous monitoring. monitoring. And uh, Carrie said, you know, at every state now you can do continuous monitoring. And uh, I know, again, in a previous conversation we had, I think attorneys are going to start jumping on this. If you don't, if you don't have that in place, and you do, just say you run MBRs on January second, and then on January third the person gets a DWI, and they don't self-report, you may not find out about that until something happens, or a year later you run the MBR. And you could have had a person driving around on a suspended DWI suspension license. Uh, they bump into somebody, you know, it's, it's you're driving for corporate business or, you know, you're driving for your organization's business in this society where we're very, very litigious. We should have Cliff back on, um, to talk about that, but you know, on that person suspended, they shouldn't have even been out there. So that's why I think continuous monitoring is a, is, is pretty important in my, in my opinion. Um, but have you found that most organizations are going towards that, Carrie? I really have. And I wouldn't, I don't know that I would have said that even a year ago. Um, but today, I mean, any new client we're, we're talking to that doesn't have a, a policy and is putting one in place, um, I'm hearing, yeah, we know we need to do it or tell me more about that. Right. Um, and, Clients that have that have worked with for a long time, um, most of those have even moved over right. at this point, and because it really is just becoming such such a, a best practice um, that just makes a ton of sense. I mean, you mentioned budget; that's important, and it's going to cost a little more to have that real time information. But you get that 
one DUI, that one person out there with a yep. suspended license that you didn't know about, and it's going to pay for itself pretty mm -hmm. quickly. So it, it really is becoming best practice. And um, one other thing to mention we didn't really talk about is when we say driver, that's a pretty general term. This, another question I get asked a lot is, so does it only matter if, if they're driving a, a company vehicle? Um, and, you know, if they are driving on behalf of company business, you know, you need to know that, um, that they are, that they're covered, that they have a license, a valid license. And so, you know, um, we talked to a lot of companies about whether it's, it's your fleet, whether it's a reimbursement policy you have, um, you know, you really need to look at anybody driving on, on company Karen, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's such a valid point. That is, and I, I'm glad we didn't miss that point. The gray fleet, right? And then even I've seen some organizations mm -hmm. even now. So they have the uh, person who mans the front desk. They run out and they get things for, you know, the company. And then they drive back. Well, if they're driving out, guess what? You know, they're going out to pick something up, you know, or whatever. I don't know. Uh, and, and, and now they're driving back and they get involved in a crash. They run a red light and hit somebody. You know, they're, and you've seen it, right? The depositions, I mean, they find out everything. I mean, depositions are like the Inquisition. I mean, they, they put you on the spotlight, you know, and I've, I've been <laughs> given enough, enough depositions over the years. They find out, you know, why were you on this road at this time? What were you doing? And they'll find out. And if they find out that you were running out on company business and they say, well, and then they'll find out. Did you have a valid license? Well, no, I didn't. Why didn't the company you know, know about that? There's so much exposure there. And let alone the people who are, you know, on the road every day, uh, you know, the, the so-called gray fleets uh, and those employees. Mm -hmm. But really, you might want to look at anybody who drives for any reason for your organization. And that might sound extreme, but again, get legal involved, ask them, see what they think about it. And I think, I think I know which way they'll roll. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk about that from a fleet manager perspective, which I am. And I have anybody who follows fleet policy, which is our, our great fleet, our reimbursed fleet. Um, they drive their personal vehicle, but they have to follow fleet policy um, as a, a fleet driver. And then of course, anybody in a company vehicle. Okay. Where I don't do this is somebody who has uh, goes out and drives to a conference under IRS mileage, right? Okay. They're not a fleet driver. I can't hold them to policy. It doesn't mean the company cannot run an MBR or do something. Maybe that's under travel or maybe it's under your expense. Um, but it's a good point. You know, if anybody is out there driving and they're driving for the company, even if it's mileage reimbursement, you know, on the IRS rate or they're in a rental car. Um, they are driving for the company and it could have some exposure out there. So you're going to have to find a way. And I don't know if that's going to be on this episode, but it's certainly something to think about um, because this is uh, developing a fleet safety policy. So we can cover all the drivers who follow that policy. But from an organizational point of view, you're going to have to find a way to reduce that exposure for all of your drivers. Um, and actually, we're working on that, Carrie. You know that we're working on something for um, um, for our travel driver uh, 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 fleet. Um, there's one group that is in a rental for 30 plus days. So, you know, we're, we're trying to work with them. We are running MBRs. We're doing that. That could be the start of a travel policy. Um, but we need to work with travel and fleet, you know, to kind of work on that. But, but that's something that should not be ignored. Absolutely correct. Yeah. And Bob, are you, are you, uh, 
handling that? Is that is that coming onto your desk? It, it is, but okay, so, I don't have the information of the rental mm -hmm. car. The accident's not reported to me if they're involved right. in an accident, but we are running MBRs. We are taking action um, um, if they do have violations. And the whole idea is not to hit them with a stick, but to let them know that we're looking right. um, and to you know let them know that there's going to be some accountability. We're also giving them the training that they need. You know, we're Good. not just putting them out there and, and um, you know, beating them down if they get a speeding ticket, but they do have a lot of windshield time behind a rental car. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. But you have drivers yeah. who, uh, employees who travel a lot and they get into the rental cars and they're driving, they may be driving a car that they're not familiar in an area that they're not familiar with. Right. And yep. Technology right. they're not exactly. familiar with. Exactly. They ate us and, and, you know, oh, it vibrated. Like, that's my crash. I mean, so, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, Bob, you make a really good point. You know, are you, are you providing training for those people and are you running MBRs for those people? And who's going to handle that? You're going to have to work with yeah. maybe your travel department to find out, you know, and, and who those people are and help them. If you have a health and safety department, rely on them. Yeah. You know, get them involved and see what they can yeah. do to kind of help um, manage that. Because if you're a small, like I'm a small department, but there's thousands of people at the company that could travel outside of the fleet policy. I cannot manage all of them in my department. Other other departments need to come in and, and kind of be a part of it. But they can fall back on your fleet policy, which is exactly what this one travel department did. They pulled components out of the fleet policy and they developed a travel policy for them. And it's consistent. Um, I think from uh, Cliff's point of view, um, what's reasonable is I have a fleet policy where I am running MBRs and taking action on all fleet drivers, and that's reasonable. I mean, if your company has eighteen thousand people, and eighteen thousand people could, you know, be on IRS mileage reimbursement, maybe that's not so reasonable to have them fall under a fleet policy. But doing something you know, to, to reduce liability with those drivers is, is something you should look into. And to keep them safe, Bob. Absolutely. And, and, and the public, you know, mm -hmm. we, just, we don't want irresponsible people out there doing something bad. We want to right. make sure that they have a license, keep everybody safe. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Well, good point. Glad we brought that up because that's, yeah, a, thanks, that's a really important one. It's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. What else we got? You know, I'd say the the one other thing, um, you know, it's about keeping everybody safe. One thing, we worked with a company one time where we offered training even to children, um, to children of employees. It was a special, you know, uh, targeted um, safety initiative by that company. But you talk about just the appreciation of people. And they were like, I have this 16-year-old. And, like, I know they're taking drivers out or this 18-year-old that did it two years ago. And gosh, I love that I can, you know, have a resource. Um, you know, you seek to, again, the positive side of it, everyone going home a day and, and, and those reimbursed drivers that don't drive as often that you might not have a structure plan for. Uh, the one we haven't talked much about, but at the end of the day, it's, it's the phone, it's texting, it's distractions, right? That's, that is what's driving it. And man, if, if we could get that through to everybody, um, especially those people that it's, it's not, second nature that they don't think much about it they get in the car to run an errand and that's it um man if you know to to hammer that point home and to have that culture where they know how important it is to you as a, as a company to not drive distracted um wouldn't we all be in a better place you know that's a goal at yeah. the end of the day no, that's that's a really valid point you know um to have your company 
you know, say that they care about you and, and making sure that you're safe, but you mm-hmm. also care about your family and, you know, offering something to children. Right. But also what about if a spouse is allowed to drive? Right. So great. Right. You know, you have spouse privileges, but you're not going to put yeah. them through any kind of training. Maybe you should, um, because every time they're in that vehicle, mm-hmm. there's a liability. Plus there's an opportunity for them to be injured. So, mm-hmm. so that makes a lot of sense there too. Um, you know, in fact, you brought up uh, uh, the companies that do that. You know, we were sending out the safety blasts every other week um, mm-hmm. and it went to, you know, fleet drivers. And um, it also went to the levels mm-hmm. of management and everybody saw it. Well, our president, he learned from the last episode, uh, president and CEO of our company at the time, you know, like the safety training so much, you know, he participated. But he also saw the, the safety blast and said every employee in the company needs to receive this. So then, you know, we ended up sending it through corporate communications and we had to kind of change the message to make it match globally because, you know, celebrating Fourth of July means nothing to anybody in the UK, um, except for maybe a couple hundred years ago. (laughs) Um, So, you know, we had to, you know, kind of globalize the message and just make it more generic. But but yeah, that's that's a really good point. You know, there's other people, you know, impacted by a driver and that's their family members, you know, so sharing information with them you know, could be very valuable. I like that. Yeah, the, the organization I worked for uh, previously, we um, espoused domestic partners who drove company assets, company vehicles. They had to go through the same training and had the MVRs yeah. continuous monitoring, just like the employee did. And if they, and then the policy we had is if they had any violations, they were out of the car. <laughs> I mean, but that was... You know, they're not the employee. They don't need to drive that vehicle as part of their employment, as part of the, to, to get their job done. So uh, I think it's a real privilege to allow a spouse domestic partner. I would urge companies do not allow children, <laughs> driver age children to drive the company vehicle. I hope they don't do that. But there are some organizations that do. And if they do, you need to make sure that those people are um, those, those those kids, those driver age children are, are, are doing the same things as the employee. I think if you're developing safety policy, the first thing you have in there is only an employee can drive a car. You don't want contractors or temps or any other people driving a company vehicle. If you're going to make the exception for a spouse, domestic partner, you're going to need to um, strengthen your policy and include something with them. We have something similar um, that that removes them permanently from driving a company vehicle if if their risk level increases. Um, Last thing is we have drivers in Canada. Right. When is monitoring coming to Canada, Carrie? <laughs> Never. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, um, every province is is interesting to deal with, right? Although I will say I have seen improvements. Um, you know, Quebec is an easier process than it used to be, and and that can be right. one of the toughest areas, um, just from a what's required to even get an abstract back, right? Um, but you know, I think it's going to be a long time before it is across all of Canada. Um, but again, every day, I mean, technology changes, we're moving in the right direction for sure. So I think, you know, you still have to do your due diligence and in Canada, we run, you know, we get abstracts back and we still, um, score them and we really still normalize it and you, you need to do what you can. Um, and maybe that's just running it a little more often until you get all the provinces caught up where you can be in more real time. Yeah, no, that's great. Hopefully, hopefully Canada does something soon. It seems like um, they tend to follow suit. Um, they're a very mature fleet market. There's a lot of opportunities there. So hopefully something will happen there soon. Well, with that, I think we're going to wrap up here. Um, it's really important, you know, that we just say, you know, 
these steps are, there's so much more you can do to develop a, safe, a safety policy. Um, last week we talked about, you know, developing, um, uh, getting all the stakeholders in, involved, getting a safety committee, start talking about what you're trying to solve. This week we went a little more. This is this is the meat of what you can do. You have to run MBRs. You have to know somebody has a license. You have to know if they increase in risk level. You have to establish the risk level. You have to assign points to certain violations. When you get there, you know then you're going to take action. Are you going to do some proactive training or do reactive training? We talked about that a little bit last week. That would be part of this this year. Next week we're going to talk about implementation, and we're going to have a, another special guest on a fleet manager who's implemented a, a fleet safety policy. Um, and uh, we'll kind of kind of tie all this together, but this is not the one stop. This is not what everybody does. This is just giving you high level information that you can use to put some sort of policy together. Um, every guest that we have on here, I think, Carrie, I'm sure that I don't want to speak for you, but I'm sure that if somebody reached out, even if they're not uh, a customer of fleet response, um, you know, yeah. uh, can probably, you know, help develop um, some language or some wording or give you ideas on, on what you need to do to develop a safety policy. We're, you know, Phil and I, you know, we say that we are only doing this podcast because we want to give back. We want to help. Phil, we hate crashes, right? Yeah. You hate know, them. we just, yeah, hate crashes. They run we, lives. we want everybody, they ruin lives. Yep. Not just the person mm -hmm. who was involved, but the family right. members and, and other people. Family. We want to keep that from happening. So this safety policy series is really you know, a step in that direction to kind of help put some tools in your in your lap to um, to, to kind of reduce accidents and, and keep drivers safe. So um, next week will be uh, the, the final episode in this series. And and um, again, I think it's going to tie everything together. But Carrie, thank you so much for your contribution on this. I think that it's you know very valuable what, what you've offered. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both. I, I appreciate coming on and I I agree. If, if everyone can get home safe at the end of the day, that is all of our goals, yeah, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, with that, uh, we'll sign off here. And Phil, any last words? Nope. Just everybody be safe. There's a lot of crazy, crazy things going on uh, on our roads these days. I mean, some just horrendous crashes that have, been, have occurred in the past week. Uh, everybody just pay attention. Don't drive impaired. Right. Be safe. And uh, hopefully you will maybe be able to give you some more information next week that will help to keep you safe. Yeah. And I don't think any episode would be complete without saying, don't drive selfish. Don't, don't be drive a selfish, selfish. driver. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone. And uh, until next week, have a great safe week.